Let's, uh, let's pray again if we could. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for this opportunity that you've given to us to gather as a body of believers, as a group of people called out by you to proclaim your truth in this community, Father. And I pray now that as we gather together on this morning that you would enlighten our hearts to the truth that you have to speak to us this morning. God, I am amazed and I'm grateful for the insight that you've given to me this week through Psalm 43, and I pray that you would uh, just enlighten our minds to what's happening in and around us this morning and, and what it is that you want to say to us through your word this morning, your life-giving, your light-bringing word of truth to our hearts and to our lives. God, free us from distraction. Bind the enemy from us this morning that we might hear your word and it might explode into our hearts and change our lives. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> so Amy read Psalm 43 for us. That's where we'll be. If you want uh, have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, We're going to go slowly through those five verses this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the back. We'd like to uh, let you have that and take it home with you if if you would like. Um, Verses will also be on the screen above me. Uh, This week, I was searching through YouTube for some training videos for Cooper uh, for baseball, trying to find some videos like some skill training videos, repetition things uh, for baseball. And I happened upon this one that was really a, a running video, uh, teaching kids how to, how to run faster. And it was very simple. I, I thought it was a joke at first. It's just to run down, a, run down hill. I thought it was a joke. Of course you're going to run faster when you're running downhill. But when in sports are you running downhill? There's no downhill in baseball. It doesn't make any sense. But as I listened to the guy talk about it and why sprinters and people who want to run faster run downhill. And here's the idea. As you're running downhill, obviously you're running faster. And if your legs don't keep up with your momentum, you're going to fall on your face. And so as you're running faster and as you're running consistently faster, 20, 30, 40, 50 yards downhill, as you're running consistently faster, what's happening is your muscles, especially the muscles in your hips, are learning to stride quicker and longer. All right? Think about running down a hill. Think about maybe a time when you've run down a hill, or maybe even run down a hill tomorrow when it dries out. Uh, But what's happening there, if you do that consistently, if you do that once a day for two or three weeks, your muscles, especially in your hips, and this is like physiologically proven, thought of by some PhD guy, your muscles learn to stride not only quicker, but longer. But the, the deal is that, the, that it has to be consistent. You can't just go out tomorrow and do it and then be done. It's, it's a consistent thing where you're running downhill consistently. And what's happening is your muscles are learning to do, to run faster. And then after several weeks of doing it every day, you will be a step or two faster. All right? And that's sort of the concept, not just to this psalm, but almost every psalm, is to have this sort of repetition, this muscle memory. Nothing that I'm going to say this morning is going to be like, oh my gosh, I've never thought of that. There's nothing in Psalm 43 that's going to be like, oh my gosh, I've never 
thought of that. All the phrasing and all the stuff that's there, stuff that you've heard consistently over and over and over again. But just like a drill is designed to give muscle memory to our hips to make us run faster and stride longer, Psalm 43 and other psalms and the phrasing that's there, the repetition is designed to give our souls that same sort of muscle memory so that when life or difficulty or hardship or greatness presses in on us, our muscles, our souls, have a memory of what they're supposed to do given that situation. You follow? Do you understand that? So that's really sort of the heartbeat of, of where we're going. But before we get to that psalm, I want to read uh, this little preamble to Psalm 43 that comes from the ESV Study Bible. It says this, singing this, and, and this psalm was partnered with Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is as the deer pants for streams of water and, and following. This, this psalm was read with, with Psalm 42, either read or sung in a worship service from the time of David, which is really cool. Singing this, Psalm 43, in corporate worship would especially foster a sense of yearning and expectation in the faithful. And that idea, that, that word foster is that same sort of notion that I was just talking about, the muscle memory. It, it breeds it. It makes it happen. Singing this, saying this, reading this, dwelling on this, meditating, memorizing this helps to create, to foster, to build muscle memory in us, a sense of yearning and expectation in the faithful. So that they would learn to attend worship looking for God's presence. This is something that's been a, a big prayer of mine, not just this week, but God's kind of pressing on this idea f- for me for a while. Is Do we, do you, get in your car on Sunday morning, headed for North Church, thinking to yourself, man, I can't wait to get there and experience the presence of God. Do we come with that sort of expectation? That's like, as Dave and Jeff and, and, and the other leaders in front of you on Sunday, that's what we're praying for this time every Sunday, for us to come in expectation to hear from God, for him to, to move in our presence. Do we come expecting that? If not, Psalm 43 might be something good for you to meditate on for, say, a week to seven, eight, nine, ten weeks. Read it every day. Read it at, put it in your phone. That's your, your alarm clock every, every Sunday morning. Read Psalm 43. Keep going in this quote here. It would especially foster a sense of yearning and expectation in the faithful so that they would learn to attend worship looking for God's presence. I hope that that's what's happening in your mind. I hope if it's not that the, that phrasing would jar our minds to think right now that we are looking for God's presence in and around us, in our souls, in our hearts, for God's voice to speak to us. And then to mourn any circumstances that prevent them from attendance. And to count their attendance at worship as a great gift from God. Because and here, here's the thing that, that I want to put as a banner over us This morning is that we are, this very psalm that we're going to read, Psalm 43, there's some discrepancy in whether or not David wrote this, but most scholars believe that David wrote it. I believe that David wrote this psalm. 
But here's the beautiful part about this, is this Psalm 43 was written by David for the church. And it's been sung and read and meditated on by Joshua, by Paul, by Timothy, the year 100 B.C. and following, 200 B.C. and following, this very psalm has been read in similar context to this one. I'm, I'm fascinated with history, but I'm really fascinated with, with church history. And to understand, I, I'm reading some biographies for a seminary class about some missionaries that have just lived horrific and awful lives, and, but in service for the kingdom. And uh, there, there's one guy in particular, a guy named Adoniram Judson, who I'll tell you his, find me later, I don't have time this morning to tell you a story, but it's a beautiful story. Uh, you look him up on, on the internet, read his story, it's, it's beautiful. But this week, I'm, I'm thinking of Adoniram Judson and, and all of his hardships and difficulties. And, and lot. He had, real quickly, he had 11 children, eight of them didn't make five years old. He had three wives, they all died um, while he was on the mission field. Just an awful story. He wound up in prison for... 17 months while his wife was carrying his, his first child, and every night he would fall asleep so he wouldn't escape. They would shackle his, his legs and lift him up and rest. He would rest right here, like his legs in the air, and this is the only part touching the ground. 17 months, that was his life. Um, no place to, there were hundreds of, of captives just like him, no place for them to, to use the bathroom, no place for them to eat. They ate and used the bathroom in the same big giant room, and they slept with their feet hanging in the air. This is his work of, of mission in Burma. It's a beautiful story. But my mind connects that that same God, the same enemy that he faced, the same hardships that he faced, the same depression that he faced, losing children, losing wives, and all these things, this psalm was medicine to his soul. And now here, 2013, in suburbia, we get to read and connect with that same psalm. And it's a, it's a beautiful notion. So let's, let's get into this and understand that we're doing this for muscle memory's sake and to connect with the ancients and to hear from God. Verse 1 says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from deceitful and unjust man." deliver me. I love, as we were checking my mic this morning, I kept saying vindicate over and over again, vindicate. It's, I love that word. It's strong. And this is a plea from David to God for us. And this, this can be our plea. Vindicate me, O God. What does vindicate mean? It comes after the comma, defend my cause. God, take up my cause. This is the exclamation that begins this psalm. God, take up my cause because there are evil men that are pressing in on me that want my life. David wrote this psalm because there were evil men that were pressing in and wanted his life. Adoniram Judson said, vindicate me because there are men who want to take my life, who want to destroy my spirit, my direction, my following hard after you. For us, chances are there's nobody in this room who has an actual human being who wants to kill them this morning. Chances are that that doesn't exist in the few people that are in this room this morning. However, the fact of the matter is, 
just like David, just like Adoniram Judson, just like everyone who's ever read this psalm, we all have a very real and very present enemy, and his name is Satan. We can decide that it is the, the Burmese national government thinking that we're a spy and wants to kill us, but ultimately our enemy is Satan. We can think that it is Saul who was chasing David to want to kill him, but ultimately Satan is the one who is our real enemy, our real and present enemy, and he's always there and he's always present. And we always can say to God, vindicate me, take up my cause, because there is an unjust man who wants to attack me, who wants to take from me. Vindicate me, God. I want to please you. I want to run for you. I want to work for you. But there is evil out there that wants to take away from me. Because we live... We are broken people among broken people, doing broken things to each other, breaking things worse. This morning, one of my prayers has been for especially females who have fathers who haven't either been there or have been gone, because a lot of the brokenness that happens in this world is due to bad fathers, broken people doing broken things to broken people to make them more broken. That's the evil that's present. And here, this psalm starts out, David exclaiming to God, vindicate me, take up my cause, save me from my enemies. Because here's the deal. While we may have good fathers, and and some of us have had bad fathers, and some of us have had in-between fathers, the good father that we have is a heavenly father, and he will always be there. He will never forsake you, ever. Though you stumble, you will not fall, for the Lord upholds you with his hand. This is... The beauty of God. This is the beauty of of this psalm. And this is the schizophrenia of this psalm. Appears in verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Let's go back and read those first two sentences again. And actually it's just one sentence separated by a semicolon. Verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. That's a positive thing, correct? Correct. You are the God in whom I take refuge. The very next phrase, why have you rejected me? This gives me so much incredible hope. This is David writing here. This is the man after God's own heart writing here. And what there's schizophrenia in his voice. You're my refuge. Why have you rejected me? Do you ever are you are you like me and that sometimes you wonder what in the world God is doing? Or you wonder what's happening, or, or one set of five minutes you're praising God, and the next set of five minutes you're chasing some silly thing of this world? Or you're wondering if God has left you in the desert wilderness? If you do, you're like David. It's okay. But here, I, I want to stop for just a second and, and wrestle and think through this word, refuge. Refuge is a Hebrew word. And it is maoz. Maoz means a place of safety, protection, refuge, or stronghold. It's translated as a fortress or a stronghold. This is the word refuge. We are proclaiming God for you, O God, in whom I take refuge. God, you are the one that provides for me safety, protection, a stronghold. You are my fortress. This is your God. He is your refuge, your place of strength in times of trouble. Run to him. And inherent within this concept of refuge is this idea that 
I need help, and you are the one able to provide it. That's the gospel. We've come to the idea, the realization that we need help, and we run to God as our strength. For me, for most of us, in what has become Tornado Alley, this is a real easy thing to connect with. Tornado sirens go off. What do you do? Go to the basement. Our house got destroyed and two blocks away, houses got destroyed most recently. It happens all the time. We were walking into ice cream when the sirens went off. We like all freak out, run to the car, drive home, get in the basement for like an hour and a half and wait for it to pass by. And the idea is we have to hear, we, we see the sky, so we get our, our, like our ears are, are attentive, waiting to hear a siren. You know, we get alerts on our phone that there's tornado watches, and I never really understand what the difference between a watch and a warning is, and I don't, I don't know. I just know that when I see watch or warning, then they both start with Ws. They started with different word, different letters. I can maybe somehow figure out a way to, to trick myself to remembering, but I can't. But warning watch, but the idea is that when I see either one of them, my sensitivity goes up to hear if a siren goes off. When that siren goes off, I go to my, my place of safety, my refuge, my strength. And this is the idea inherent within refuge is we have to realize that we are in need. And that is the heart of the gospel, realizing that you are in need, but not just that, realizing that God is the one who can provide for that need. And here's, here's the other thing inherent within this Hebrew word for refuge is this. No matter what you have done or what has been done to you, God remains this refuge for you. No matter what you have done or what has been done to you, God will and will always remain your refuge and your strength. I see like three of you writing that down. You should, everyone should be at least writing that down in their brain. That is the heart of, of the gospel. It's the heart of what Psalm 43 is speaking to us. It also says, rejected. Why have you rejected me? John Gill, who preached in Great Britain in the early 1800s, said this. It, that is being rejected by God, being what was not in reality but only in appearance. And what he means is God didn't really reject David, but only appeared as though he rejected Davis. Again, the only real weapon of your enemy is to lie to you, to deceive you, to tell you things that aren't true about you or the people who love you or your church or your friends or your family. The only real weapon, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. The only real weapon Satan has is to convince you that something that is true is not true. That's what he did to Eve. He said, God doesn't want you to be like him. He's holding out on you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't want the best for you. Eat this apple. Eat this fruit. The only real weapon that Satan has is to lie to you, to deceive you, to tell you something that's not true about yourself, about your spouse, somebody who's supposed to love you, your father, your church, your neighbor, scripture, that's the only real weapon Satan has is to lie to you. It's only in appearance that you may feel rejected by God. It will never, ever happen. Continue in Gill's quote here. The psalmist was ready 
to conclude that he was cast off and rejected by God because he was afflicted and left in a desolate condition by him. And he did not immediately arise to his help and deliverance. That is, God did not immediately arise to go help and deliver David. And he would, had withdrawn the light from his countenance. But God does not cast off or reject any of his people. God does not cast off or reject any of his people. We're going to get to that in just a bit. Uh, verse 3. It says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Our, I, I said the, the only real tool in the hand of the enemy is to lie to you. The best tool that we have in defense of that tool is the truth of God's word. If Satan is trying to lie to you, if people are telling you lies, you want to cling to the truth. And the only real truth that cannot be shaken ever is the truth of God's word. And here, verse 3, David is pleading to God to send your light and send your truth and let them lead me. Let your truth be the thing. Let your word be the thing that leads me into your presence. Again, reason to meditate on Psalm 43 and all the Psalms. Pray them, journal them, meditate, because they begin to convince our soul of the truth of what God is. The more we know the truth, the easier it is to spot the lies of the enemy. It's vital for us to understand. That's a a, a foundational concept for us to live a life satisfying, live a life in pursuit of God is to to know the truth so that we can identify lies. And here, David, Psalm 43, 3, let your light and your truth lead me. Let those be the thing that lead me, not the lies of the enemy, but let your light and your truth lead me. It's vital for us to come to grips with. Um, Flip over to to John 15. I want to read John 15, 4 through 11 to you. Um, Talking about being led to the truth connected to God, owning this relationship with God. John 15 is, is beautiful. Read Psalm 43 every morning and read John, John 15 every morning. This is us doing what we're praying for. We're praying in, in Psalm 43, 3, to, for God to send his light and his truth to let them lead me. This is how it's done. John 15. Count the abides that show up here. Verse 4, starting in verse 4. Abide in me and I in... This is Jesus talking. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. If you are not connecting to God, if you are not connected to God, praying, studying scripture, being in community, having conversations centered around the gospel, centered around the beauty of God and its truth, we wither. That's a fact. You look around, you feel rejected by God, chances are you are not connected to God. You are not abiding in him. It's very simple. We're going to 
go on, we don't know the, the dates of it yet, but we're going to go on this, this journey together as a church about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Ultimately, what it means to be filled with the Spirit, it's, it's a big, Dave has done a year's worth of research and study, and he's going to lead us to it in, in a, a couple of months or so. But the, the thing is, the, the big, long, complicated thing that we'll walk through is, is beautiful, but ultimately it gets boiled, just, as all of Scripture does, gets boiled down to one simple concept. Just connect to God. Pray, study, read your Bible. Be in community, live relationships. Speak, live it. This is what it means to be connected, to abide in Christ. Meditate, read, journal, do the spiritual disciplines. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch. I'm reading from verse 6, and it withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's a big bold statement. Abide in God and have his words abide in you. And then after that's done, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. This morning, it's Father's Day, right? And, and I like I walked, one of the best things for a dad is to cuddle with her kids, and the best time to cuddle with her kids is when they first wake up. None of my kids had woken, usually two or three of them have, have woken up before I do, and, and I come out, and they're like playing video games and watch TV or something, but they were all three asleep this morning. Um, and it was my job to get Mia out of bed, and if she's not one to get up, she's not going to happen. So I just laid there with her, and I held her, and I thought, abide in my love. Imagine this holy God. You're tired, you're cranky, you don't want to get out of bed, and he comes and holds you. This is God. This is what he wants. Abide in his love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is, this is something for us that we may struggle with a bit. One of the ways to abide in the love of God is to do what he says. Holiness is important. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I don't want to... I thought about stopping after verse 10 and not having verse 11 in there, but ultimately... The result of abiding in the love of God is joy. And joy is a, is a really churchy word. Hey, I'm joyful. When was the last time you walked across your neighbor and said, hey, you're joyful today? It just seems like a... But ultimately, it's, joy is like this contentment combined with this exuberant excitement. Like I am content yet excited. This is joy. And God wants to give it to you, and it's found in abiding in him. Move to verse 4 here. Then you've, you've led me to your holy hill, and you're dwelling by your light and your truth. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God my God. Um, A.W. Tozer says, 
this about this verse, the cure for our depression, and David is in a depressed spot here, the cure for our depression is neither to look inward to our grief, nor back to our past, nor round at our problems, but away and up to the living God. This is nourishment to my soul. I hope it's nourishment to yours. The key to snapping out of depression, out of discouragement, out of, man, this current situation is awful. I think of Adoniram Judson. I think of David. I think of times in my past. I think of current situations in your situation. The key to snapping out of that, that discouragement, that depression, that hardship, that period of darkness is not to look around at your grief or look around to the past things in your life that have caused that grief, but instead to look away and up to the living and holy God who wants you to abide in him, to abide in his love, who wants to give you exceeding joy so that you can be hung upside down in a prison amid rancid food, broken, and say, my joy is being made complete here and now in this time. This is the God who wants to give this to you. Look back at verses 3 and 4 and look at the tangible places that are brought up here. Three things. The holy hill, the dwelling place of God, and the altar of God. These are the places where God dwells. These are the things that demand our attention if we are pursuing our joy. If you want joy, if you want purpose, if you want fulfillment, Find them alone in God, his holy hill, his presence, where he is, where he dwells, where he abides. Get alongside people who you see that in their lives. Ask them to go to coffee with you. Ask them to go to lunch with you and just get around people like that. Read, study, think, dwell, meditate, write, pray that God would bring these things to you. Because ultimately, this psalm and many others, their purpose is to disconnect our hearts and our minds from the things and the lies of this world. Disconnect our hearts and our minds and our affections from the things and the lies of this world and then reconnect them with a holy God. That's the purpose of this psalm. Disconnect from the world and the lies that it has and reconnect with God, a purpose-giving, a life-giving, an unwavering, and unchanging God. This is not something that's easily done. This is not something that's a box check. That's this sermon, and then we press forward. This is ongoing. This is life. This happens every day. This is wake up, read Psalm 43 every day, and ask God to make it true in your heart. It's not something you can manufacture. It's something God can place in you. Because darkness will come again, even when we, God has defeated darkness and depression and hardship in our lives, it's going to happen again. We're going to believe lies again. We're going to wind up with our feet in the air again. More schizophrenia comes in verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? He's just, used, he's just told God, asked him to vindicate him, asked him to defend his cause, said, you are the one in my refuge, that, that I go to your light and your truth, and I, I come into your holy hill, and 
and you are my exceeding joy, and I praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. And then he says this. It doesn't make any David is schizophrenic. He's fickle. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Wait a second. I thought you just said you were filled with joy, praising God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Even in verse 5, it's, God, where are you? Hope in God. It's schizophrenic. It's everywhere. This is God here. This last verse encapsulates this entire psalm and, and this, even this entire sermon. You have my permission, you have David's permission to question God. As a kid, as, as even a, a youth pastor in my former days, I would be scared of this verse. Give a kid permission to question God? Wait a second, we shouldn't do that. Yet here is David. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? What's happening inside of me? Why is there darkness? This psalm is a tool to defeat that lie that somehow there is inadequacy in you. Somehow there is inadequacy in the cross. Somehow there is inadequacy in, in those who were supposed to protect you. Somehow there is inadequacy in the church that you belong to. Somehow there is inadequacy in your marriage. All these inadequacies that have that bring darkness and discouragement to you and can focus our attention to that discouragement, to that darkness. But here it is. Why are you downcast in my soul? Why are you downcast? Why is there darkness around me? The antidote. Hope in the Lord. Hope in God. That even though this present circumstance may bring me pain and hardship, there is a design here. And the design is to get our minds and our hearts and our affections disconnected from this world and reconnected to a holy God, the only one that can bring us true and lasting joy. Hope in God. Hope in me because I love you. Hope in me because I will never fail you. Hope in me because I will always hold you with my hand. Hope in me because my love is steadfast. It doesn't change and doesn't need to. This is the Lord. This is God speaking to you. Hope in the Lord. This is the antidote for pain, for depression, for darkness, for discouragement. This is the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Hope in God. Though you may stumble, you will not fall because the Lord holds you. Fear not, for he holds you. Trust in him. He will make your path straight. These are Psalms and Proverbs everywhere. God screaming to you, trust me, trust me, trust me. Let's pray and get a chance to respond to this holy and perfect God. Father, I stand before you, grateful for how you have ministered with this psalm to my heart these many months, Father. God, and I pray that you would allow this time and the thoughts that we've shared this morning and the, the quiet thoughts that, have, that you have placed in the minds of, of those here this morning, that they would be diving boards into 
your hope and into your perseverance and your strength and your refuge. And God, that this would be a motivator for our souls to meditate on the truth that you have for us. To find in you joy and strength and peace and hope and disconnect our hearts and our minds and our affection from the lies of this world and instead connect them with you that we would abide in you, Father, and you would bring repetition to our spirits, bring muscle memory to us, Father, that we would, when depression, when darkness closes in, we would not settle there. We would not rest there, but instead we would rise to who you are and what you've done in our lives, Father, and and go to your holy hill, to your dwelling place, to your altar, and find you there and find our exceeding joy there. You are a great and mighty God. Draw us into your presence and continue to draw us into your presence. In Christ's wonderful and perfect name, amen.